and I, uh, many people who know me say, you profile like crazy. And I do profile like crazy, but I have to be very aware because I'm always wrong in my profiling. And we usually are. We are always wrong in how we profile somebody. We may look at someone and go, oh, they just know this much. But you might be surprised, right? You, you don't know what they know. We, we don't know what anybody knows, right? And so it's very easy for us to put somebody in that category and go, this is who they are, and then not give them a chance to be anything more than they are. So <clears throat> I started looking at this scripture a while ago because I had another question, and I won't talk about that context now because that'll lead us in a different direction. But Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 through 13. Um, is our is our scripture for today. And I ask you to think about this in every context possible, not just race or gender or or, <clears throat> or sexual preference or anything like that, but in every context possible, right? Stature, height, um, size. <clears throat> Okay, Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 to 13. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting in a tax collector's booth. And he said to him, follow me. And so he got up and followed him. Then it happened that as Jesus was reclining at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were dining with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why is your teacher eating with the tax collectors and the sinners? So his profiling here, right? Like immediately it happens. The Pharisees saw Jesus and they're like, why, what, what is he doing there? I thought this was, a, this is a man who preached in, in the temple. What is he doing here? It's inappropriate. What is he doing here eating with these people? He is doing something that's not okay. He's doing something inappropriate. <clears throat> and, but when Jesus heard this, he said, it is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, every time I read this scripture in the past, I've always thought, well, yeah, Jesus came to save the sinners. And so in my biased profiled mind, I categorize, oh, sinners, like the really bad people, right? <laughs> the people who are, do, not, do not know Christ. And, and and want nothing to do, and that's who Jesus came to save. But of course we know this is not true. In this scripture, Jesus was actually talking to the Pharisees. He said, so like, who is a Pharisee? Like, who are these guys, right? So a Pharisee, in, in, the, in the traditional biblical context, it means, the name Pharisee actually means separated one. These are people who are set apart for God, right? Set apart for the work of God. The Pharisees separated themselves from society to study and teach. So these people, literally separate themselves from everything else. And so there was a huge barrier. So I am a Pharisee. I do not participate in the things of non-Pharisaical, non-godly things. I am. I will separate myself out from this, and I will teach the things of God. And this was necessary, right? The, the work of the Pharisees, the separation was necessary, because if you come back to the initial teachings of God of what it took for a priest to enter into the temple, that, that they had to be separated from the people. They had to live a different type of life. They had to live a life that was clean and holy before God, right? Because they were the ones that offered the sacrifices for the people to God. But they also separated themselves from the common people. Now it's because they considered them religiously unclean. So they were supposed to separate themselves for the work of God, 
But they also separated themselves because they're like, these guys are not clean. They're not like us. I'm clean. I know what to do to get clean. I'm from the line of the Pharisee. You know, in, in certain cultures, there are certain um, lines of people that are considered a higher level than other people. In Indian culture, the Brahmins are considered a higher level. You can't marry within caste in Indian culture traditionally. And so they, they were considered like the elite, right? These are the people of God. But because of that, there was this other separation that happened where it's like, well, if you're not a person of God, I don't need to associate with you, right? So here Jesus is addressing the office and the person. So the office of the Pharisee and the person, reminding them that they have departed from the heart and intent of God. By creating this separation, the Pharisees could put themselves on a very different realm of ministry, and Jesus came and broke that. See, Jesus is the Son of God. And if it was God's intent for the Pharisees to separate themselves from the people of God, Jesus would not have gone and sat with the sinners. But here's the really cool thing. It's really, really cool. Because when we read Matthew chapter 9, when Jesus went from there, he, he went and he saw Matthew sitting in the tax collector's booth. Now, just for short context, the tax collectors, equivalent to the IRS today, were not favorite. They were not the favorite of people. They were scum because usually they collected the tax plus more. So they were not honest people. Like we know this from Zacchaeus, right? Because when Zacchaeus repented, the first thing he said is, I'll give back the money I stole. And he admitted it. He said, I'll give back the money I stole. So, we know we know that the the character of the of the tax collector was not one that was good. So people did not like tax collectors. They were the people who came around. You don't open your door to them. I mean, like I don't want you in my midst. And so when they saw Jesus sitting with these despised people, like what? Why would you do that? Why would you sit with these people that cheat us? Why would you do? Why would you sit with somebody that cheats somebody else? Why would you sit with someone that hurts somebody? Why would you sit with someone who steals from people who can't afford it? Why would you do that? So Jesus, he came and he broke that. Now, Jesus said, I did not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. And we want to start, this is the last part of verse 13, the last part of our reading today. So I did not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. And so I started looking at what does the word righteous mean? And righteous, it means upright. It means righteous. It means virtuous. It means keeping the commands of God. But the biblical contextual use of this word also uses it for people who seem to think themselves to be righteous, right? And this is where we have to be careful because many times we may look at ourselves and go, well, at least I'm this. I'm not that. You know, I may not be perfect, but at least I'm this. I mean, look at how far I've come. I'm not that. You know, it's very easy to elevate ourselves, to make ourselves feel good than to see ourselves for who we truly are. The fact is, as righteous as we are, we are still wretched. As righteous, as much as we do the things of God, we are still unworthy of God's grace and mercy. And we will always be unworthy of it. it that's, a, that's a truth. You see, I am not worthy of the things that God has given me. I am not. I am, I am, I acknowledge that I have received what I have received because I have a God who loves me. This is true. There will never come a point in my life that I can consider myself worthy. Jeannie, good job, Jeannie. Nice work. Now you are worthy of the things that God has given you. Never. There's never going to be that point in life. Because I was born in sin. 
and I, I have not died yet, so I'm not perfect, right? As long as I walk this earth, I am unworthy. Do you know that when we have a mindset that reminds us, I don't deserve what I have, I will look at everything I have with more grace. Right? It's very easy for us to be unhappy with our lives and with what we have and what goes on. You know, I, um, I had a conversation with Pastor Catherine, not this Friday, but the Friday before, and I was saying something to her, and she said, but look at what God is doing. We were talking about uh, the Ragnar. He said, but look, God helped you run. You ran a 200-mile race. She goes, she goes, that's amazing, right? And I was like, yeah, that is amazing. I mean, I, I don't I despair that, that fact, like what I couldn't do two, three years ago, I can do now. That's amazing. I can't say, oh, it's because I'm consistent in my training. and because I, No, it's because of God. You know, about a year ago, a year ago, I wasn't running as well as I am today. I prayed last year. And I said, Father, would you please help me run better? And that's when he showed me consistency. And I said, okay. And all I have to do is not focus on how good of a runner I am. I just have to focus on being consistent. It was the same thing in my spiritual walk. I think I shared this with you guys. The one lesson I learned this year is consistency. It's not about how good I get or how much I grow. It's about Am I consistent every day? That's my focus. So my focus is not gauging. I don't have a graph that I maintain and look at. Am I, am I seeing this growth? All I look at every day is I have these five things I've committed to doing every day. Do I do it every day? That's all I focus on. And then the fruit that comes out of it, I suddenly I'll be like, oh, I can do this. Oh, I can do that. Oh, I can do that. I'm like, amazing. Right? Oh, I know this. So, oh, when I face a circumstance, I can overcome it. It's not about the fruit. A lot of times we look for the fruit. It's like, God promised me this. I, wait, where is it? Where is, where is this thing I, I pray for? No, it's about, can we just do it? You see, our walk, our journey is about the consistency. It's about the faithfulness. Faithfulness is consistency, right? If I am faithful to do something every single day, if I am faithful to keep my mind on God every single day, if I am faithful to walk out his promises every single day, if I have committed something to him, if I have committed something to him, am I faithful to carry it out? Right. You know, when I started off my commitment this year, I used to have a checkbox. And every day I would check my checkbox just to help me remember, right? And I wanted to see, I, I, I'm a data-driven person, so I like to see green. <laughs> I like, and when I finish all my checkboxes, I would see all greens, and it would make me happy. So that's what I do. Is I, I, I maintain that for a while until it became automatic, and I'm like, okay, I just got to do this every day. It just became a part of my life. But that's all I focus on. The fruit will happen. You see, the fruit, it, you don't plant a tree and sit there and wait for the fruit to grow. You don't do that. You plant a tree, you water it, and then you let it grow. And then when the fruit comes out, you enjoy it. I don't know any farmer that sits in, out in the field, plant a tree and just watches it. Right? And like, oh, it's grown an inch today. And that's a very unfruitful farmer. Right? Because then everything else in his life will die. But if you plant a tree, you just plant it and you do what you need to do to keep that tree alive and flourishing, and then you know it'll happen. As long as I've done everything I can to nourish and to feed this tree, I know this tree's gonna grow. I know eventually I'm gonna see some fruit. And then when the fruit comes, you enjoy it. You don't, no pharmacist there counts, well, one, two, three, four, five, okay, seven fruit. Okay, where's the rest? Nobody does that. No farmers do that. They go out, they harvest their trees, and they come back, right? And then when the fruit grows again, they go out, they harvest again, and come back. They don't sit there and count. 
oh god you promised me 25 fruit and this time there's only 17 come on where's the rest right where's the rest we don't keep the farmer doesn't do that because fruit comes from harvest harvest comes from good growth and care and maintenance in our lives, if our eyes are always focused on the fruit, we'll never understand the journey. We'll never understand the, the work it takes to get there. So when Jesus said, I did not come to call the righteous, he did not come to call those who think they are righteous. Now, they were righteous men in the Bible. We, I have just three examples here, Abraham and Joseph and John. They were righteous men. But even these righteous men were not righteous of their own accord. Abraham was declared righteous because of his faith. Joseph was a righteous man because he followed the precepts and the commandments of God, and he did right by, by Mary. John was a righteous man because he dedicated his entire life towards paving the way for Jesus Christ. Everything they did in their righteousness was towards God. Their righteousness did not account to fruit. Abraham didn't see his generations that God promised him. And Abraham didn't get that promise until how many years after he was promised it? Right? So the fruit is not the goal. The goal is the journey. Our life on this earth is how many people do we touch with our lives every single day? That's our, that's our true goal. If our goal on this earth is how much I acquire, what I have on my arm, who I have on my arm, what kind of career I, I build, how much wealth I have amassed, how much I can wear on me, what I wear on me. If this is our goal, your goals are short. You're going to miss out on what God truly has. You see, one day we will stand before God. Every one of us. Doesn't matter how old you are right now. We will all stand before God. There's this this fact is not going away. We will all die, some sooner than later. And when we do, what is going to be there with us? Who is going to be there with us? Do you know that when you stand before God, you won't even have your spouse and your children with you? You will stand before God on your own. You won't have your parents with you. You will not have your boss with you. You will not have your best friends with you. Nobody will be there with you. We stand before God on our own. Actually, the only person who is there with us, our advocate, is Jesus Christ. He is the only one there with us. He's the only one there who will speak with us and for us. When we stand before God, he, there is no one else there but him. So think about it. All these things that we focus on right now that continuously consume our lives and take us away from God, none of it will matter eventually. In this very short life that we live, in this very, very short, life is truly, in comparison to eternity, it's this. You can't even see it. It's insignificant in this very short life that we live. We I speak about this so many times because the, the reality of this is so hard to comprehend. Because our troubles and our needs and our wants are so much greater than God. So we can get mad at God. We can get frustrated with God. We can get irritated with how we are. We can struggle with what we're doing. We struggle with all of these things because we're just trying to focus on this instead of this. The truth is, our role as pastors, as, as teachers, any one of us who teach, our role when you teach, your role is to remind people of this. You're not living for this. You're living for this. And if you don't live for this right now, if you don't live for eternity right now, your reality right now is in vain. It's a, 
absolute wasted investment. How many of you like to put money in a bank and lose it? Anybody? How many of you hate it when you waste money? You go buy something at the store, you pay $150, right? And then you come out and you go onto Amazon and it's 25. Mm. Oh my gosh, yes. No refunds. Oh. <laughs> That's the worst feeling in the world. This is exactly what it is. You invest your entire life, the entire zero to what, 85, 86, 90, 100. You invest entire zero to 80, 100 years, you invested in this and there's nothing for this. Oh my goodness. Eter Our responsibility is not to is not to change your life. Our responsibility is to keep reminding you of this. It's to keep reminding you that if you don't make those choices, you have to face eternity. See, when we stand before God, we truly stand alone. When I realize that, and one thing God showed me is when I stand before God and I stand alone, I will get to see the people who will not stand before God, who will not get to be with God, sorry, not who will not stand before God, the people who will not get to be with God. And then I will see the impact of my life on these people and why I failed. So because of that, that was my question. That's actually what brought me to this to this scripture is how. Go to the next slide. See, Jesus, instead of dining with the many tax collectors and sinners, he was he, instead of instead Jesus was dining with the many tax collectors and sinners who came to dine with him. This is the part that really struck me. You see, Jesus was not afraid of who came, who was with him. But the point to notice is that these people came to him. He went to where they were. He saw Matthew. He went to where Matthew was. He was say, hey, come with me. Matthew became his disciple. Matthew was a tax collector. He became his disciple. He went to where Matthew was. He said, hey, come with me. And then he went to Matthew's house. In, in, uh, in Matthew, he's called Matthew. In uh, Luke and John, he's called Levi same person. He went to his house. So he went to where they were, these unbelievers. He went to where they were. He wasn't worried about what anybody thought about him, but he went to where they were. And when he went to where they were, they came to him. Now, this is the part that's important. They came. I'm like, how, Jesus? How did you make them come to you? What was it? How did you make them come to you? How many unbelievers do you know will naturally come to you because they are drawn to Christ? People hang out with us not because we're nice people, because we're not really nice people. All of us have parts of us that are not nice. But there are some people that are really drawn to hang out with us because we have Christ in us. They see something in us that they know is genuine. Right? You can relate to that. You know, like you have some friends that just like to be with you. You know, we, we joke that we have some friends that really enjoy their Christian friends because they know that we're reliable, we love them, we care for them. That's not out of my ability or anybody's ability, anybody here. None of us have this ability to be so caring and so kind. But they are drawn to us. And so that's what he began to show me. He said, they came to him because he was Jesus. Jesus fills a need in our life that nobody else can. And he, all of these people, tax collectors, prostitutes, sinners, they were all people who had needs in their life, just like every one of us. While we may not carry... Um, a title of tax collector or prostitute or sinner, like blatant our sin written over us, we are, we are these people. We are these people. We found Jesus because he filled that void in our life. They came to Jesus. You know, I have been praying for a lot of people in our life right now that are not Christian. We play Frisbee 
every Sunday with a bunch of people that are not Christian. And I pray for every one of them because they like us. And I, and I don't want them to just like me because I'm not, I'm not their savior. I'm never, ever going to be able to save their souls and do anything for them. But over time, my prayer is that they will be drawn because of what they see. You know, every now and then we'll invite them to church or we'll invite them to activity and they come. Right? And we pray that every single time, every single interaction, that they will get closer and closer to what it knows to be God. You see, it's very easy for us to hand out a tract and go, here, go read this. But it's very hard to walk alongside of somebody and be the word of God in their life. Do you know, the reason why I came to know Jesus the first time was because somebody handed me a tract and I was in a room full of kids. Like it was a, a, a youth camp and, and the pastor said, put your hand up and pray. So I put my hand up and pray. I became a Christian. I didn't know what that meant. The reality of that in my life was not real. It didn't mean as much to me as the second time. When I truly gave my life over to Christ, I really began to understand this is not about the people around me. This is not about the community I'm part of. This is about my choice to serve God and live my life so other people can come to know him. It's about me living like I'm Christ now. I am part of Christ right now so that people can be drawn to him. You know, I, we were, uh, during the Ragnar, we had a guy in our van who was a Muslim. And he brought up, suddenly he started talking about churches and corruption. And I was like, oh God, <laughs> are we gonna go into this right now? And he was, very, he was a topic he really wanted to bring up because he knew I was a Christian, right? And then there was another guy who was also, he was, he's Swedish and he's like, oh yeah, in Sweden we have the same thing. And I'm like, what is this coming from? So I just started praying and praise God, for some reason, the conversation ended, but I had been praying for him for so long because it occurred to me, this is how they know Christians. This is what they know about Christians. Oh, Christians, are you, you go to church, it's corrupt. Where's Christ? Where is Jesus in all of this? Do you know, over the years, so many years, it's been so long since I've heard somebody say, I, I love being around Christians because there's something about them that reminds me of their God. I've never heard that. It's heartbreaking, but that's what God's called us to be. You see, we're around people who are not Christian. Every day. We work with people that are not Christian. We, I want to use the word, we work with people that don't know of our Christ. We, do, we work with people who don't know about salvation. We work with people and, and we live with people and we, we walk with people who do not know about, about our God, but we don't have an opportunity to be, they have never had an opportunity to know that God because they don't have anybody in their life that way. See, I don't hide the fact that I'm a Christian. I always speak of it. I don't hide the fact that we have church and we do it because people need to know that. They need to know the reason why we're different is because of God. And every opportunity God gives me, I will say that. But I don't have an agenda. For many years, I've been praying, God, tell me how to say this. You know, I went to, when I was in Bible school in, in Pullman, they taught us evangelism. So you can do, it's like a five-step process, you know, the Romans road. I've never been able to use it because maybe you're leading somebody's salvation, you're kidding. But how do you go up to somebody? Let me tell you about the Romans road. None doesn't make sense because God has not gone before me and, and revealed himself to them. Right? You know, earlier this year, I shared about um, testimonies from Afghanistan, how thousands of Muslims are turning to Christ. Thousands of Muslims are turning to Christ. You know how? Not, nobody's ministering to them. There's a group of Muslims, uh, Christians, converted Muslims to Christians that have been praying for these people. 
they just keep praying and people and they, and God will tell them go talk to this person I've revealed myself to him and when I read that I'm like yes that's how it is because I came to know Christ because God revealed himself to me I knew God was real I have to know that for myself so now I pray that for everybody and I thought please reveal yourself to them then when I when you send me to them they will know what I'm talking about my life can also be a reflection of you but I have to work on it See, Jesus, in Matthew 9, verse 9 to 10, he said, Jesus went from there. He saw a man called Matthew sitting in the tax collector's booth, and he said to him, follow me. So he got up and he followed him. Then it happened that as Jesus was reclining at the table in the house, this is Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and were dining with Jesus and his disciples. They came. God will bring people into our lives that need to know about him. He will put the words in our mouth to speak of him. But are we ready and are we willing? Is our life a continuous reflection of him so that we are ready and we do not disqualify ourselves? You know, if there's a waiter in a restaurant or an associate in a store that you have just been really mean to and God suddenly says, you need to tell this person about Christ. Guess what? You just screwed it up, <laughs> right? Because you didn't treat him like a human being and now you have to tell him about Christ. How are you going to do that? See, there's a responsibility on our side, right? We have to be responsible for everything that we do. How we treat people, we have to be responsible for that. You cut somebody off on the freeway, just talking to myself here, right? And then later on, you see them in the store and God tells you, that's the person I want you to bless them. I want you to pray for them. Okay, thank you. How do I do that? <laughs> because if we're not mindful of how we are, Jesus was Jesus. He was who he was. So wherever he went, he was truly who he was. We are called to be like him. We are called. When we talk about ministry, ministry is our life. It is who we are. And I say we, I'm talking about everybody, right? All of us, everyone listening online, everyone in this room. We are all called to this ministry. We are all called to be this. This is what we're among our friends. You know, when I was in college, I told this story before. When I was in college, I was on a ministry team. I had to minister. So I was, I was an intern at my church. I had to minister uh, 10 hours a week. So I was reaching out to these two girls. And I, I did everything with them, did everything for them. And then one night, I was 21 years old. They were not. One night, they were like, can you buy us some beer? Biggest mistake of my life. And my big need to please them, I did. Right? And that was the biggest mistake and best lesson I've ever learned. It's not about who we are. So after that, it was really hard to rectify my screw up. It was really hard because I broke my testimony. My witness was gone. And how many times have we done that? Because we've participated in something that our friends are doing and, and we've broken that witness. But you can regain that witness. You know, I still had a chance to minister to them after that because I apologized and I said I was really irresponsible and stupid of me to do this. I should never have done this for you. Right? And, I, and I admitted, I said I did this because my desire to please you was greater than my desire to please God. And that's not, that's not right. That's not who I should be. Right? But I'm sure I pray that the seed that was planted in their life was good. So we'll go back and we look at Matthew uh, 9, 9, 9 to 13, what we read today. And we see a couple of, we want to have some learnings, right? 
Jesus came to seek and save the lost. I, mean, I use Zacchaeus uh, in Luke 19.10. It's talking about Zacchaeus. It says, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. He came for us. He came for the people that we love. He came for our family members, people that we've been praying for for years. He came for our, 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 our enemies. He came for people who harm us and hurt us. He came for everyone. That was what he came for. He came to this earth for that one purpose. John 3.16, for God so loved the world, he, he gave his only son so that whoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He came for us. That's what he came for. That's what we see in Matthew 9.9.13. Jesus didn't waste his time hanging out with the Pharisees in the temple. Everywhere he went, he taught the word. That's what, that was who he was. He came, he, full, he knew what his mission was. He fulfilled his mission. He fulfilled that life. So we're saying, what, you want me to give up everything I have and just speak of God all the time? I mean, let's be real here. We have jobs. We have, you know, responsibilities. No, but can we also be the word, right? Because no matter what Jesus was doing, no matter where he was, he was representing Christ always. Can we among our friends, can we among our family, can we be that? Can we be, can we be willing to be different? Can we put... Now, the last two Bible studies, we talked about forgiveness and obedience. Can we put these things that we are so challenged with aside and deal with them so that we can be this, so that we can be Christ, so that I'm not held or holding on to the things that will hold me back from God? Can we do this? The second learning we get is Jesus will call all and everyone. And we see that because he called, he went and he called Matthew. So like, and I started off talking about bias, right? We never know who God will call or will use in our lives or in the lives of others. We may look at someone and go, well, that's the most unlikely person, right? That's the most unlikely person that God will use, and God will use them. He will use them in our lives and the lives of others. We might be that unlikely person, right? We may say, well, God will never use you. Yeah, who are you? What are you? God will use us. He will call whoever. Matthew was a tax collector. That means Matthew's job was cheating people. That was his job. His job was getting rich of other people. That was his job, right? And maybe some of the taxes would go back to the government. And yet, what Matthew, what God did was he said, I will use this man. And then Matthew became a disciple of Christ, which means Matthew went from being a cheat and a liar to a man who represented Christ. That's what Matthew did. Right? And so, Jesus will call anyone. That means he has called every one of us. This is not a, a, a message or a, a calling only for certain types of people, not just for people who can talk or, or just for people who, who are of a certain stature, of a certain gender, of a certain age. This is not. This is God will call everyone. He will call us where we are. He went to Matthew. He called Matthew where he was. He didn't tell Matthew, hey, Matthew, I want you to enlist in four years of seminary school and turn your life around, pay everybody back, and then I'll come get you. He actually picked Matthew where he was. That means he brought Matthew into his discipleship when he was still known as a tax collector and a sinner. He said, come. So God calls us where we are. So when we give that excuse of I'm not ready, that's our excuse. <laughs> right? That's very much our excuse. I'm not ready means I'm not ready to be humbled by God, to be transformed so my life can be used by him. I 
am always ready. We're always ready, right? And then the third thing is that those who were found by him were those who came to him. Jesus went out and he called. And then those who came to him were those who were found. And you go back to the prodigal son, right? This, the parable of the prodigal son. The prodigal son came home and there was restoration. This is our part. Jesus has already called. He has called us. He has called everyone around us. It is our responsibility to respond. It is also our responsibility to remind other people that they need to respond. It's our responsibility to remind our family and our friends. You have to respond because Jesus is already called. God has already called you. He's already called you back into a relationship with him. God has not put any conditions and say, you have to be perfect before you come back into a relationship with me. He has already called. He said, I want, I want you to come. Right? I want you to come. You know, we have a, a joke in, in Logos that you can come to church as you are. Right? And there's a time that Dora used to go to work and she would go home and change into her shorts before she came here because she can't dress up to come to Logos. Because it's true, you come as you are, right? <laughs> so you, it, who you are is what you are. That's how you come. There is no judgment. But that's exactly how it is with God. He doesn't wait for us to get our lives together and be all perfect and then come. That's not what he's calling for. He's straight, come as you are. When we when we are talking to somebody and we put restrictions on them, then we become like the Pharisees. It's like, oh, the Pharisees told them, the, the, uh, the, they told the Israelites, like, no, you can't come to God unless you're circumcised. So you can't come to God unless you're this or you come to that. No, I can come to God how I am. I failed today, I can still come to God. I fail tomorrow, I can still come to God. He's a redemptive God who, when we fail and we come before God, he helps us so that our lives get stronger. So we remember not to fail, we repent, right? We repent. Repentance, again, is a very important part of our walk and the walk of, the, of those who we lead, right? If we walk in repentance, we will lead others in repentance as well. Here's my last slide. And the reminder is no one comes to the Father but through me. As much as God is calling us, I'm going to start with the last point. As much as God is calling us to lead others to him, no one comes to God, to the Father, but through Jesus Christ. We are not called to be somebody's God. Reaching out to somebody doesn't mean I solve their problems for them. I'm going to say this again. Reaching out to somebody does not mean I solve the problems for them. It doesn't mean I become their solution. If they have a problem, it's not my money that goes out. It's not my pocket that empties. It's not my effort. It's all by God's effort. My job is to lead them. My job is to be a, an expression of Christ to them. There are times that God may use us, right? There are times that he may use us, but we are not their salvation. So if they don't make a choice to come to God, it is not because I haven't done enough. It is their choice. We just have to put ourselves in a place and a position where we are that that one that leads them. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus said in Matthew 9, 13, he says, but go and learn what this means. And this is kind of how I want to send. This is the last point that I'll make that we should remember and do today. Go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice. What does this mean in our lives? Now, on Friday night, we, when we did Bible study and obedience, I said, go home and think about obedience. Think about what obedience looks like in our lives. Are we always obedient to God? Are we always quick to respond to him? When we hear his word, do we respond to his word? Do we ignore it? Today, it's like, do we understand that he desires compassion and not sacrifice when it comes to people? It's not about 
Ugh, I can't stand this person. I just spent an hour with them, so I think I must be okay. Right? That's not what it is. Because that's easy. <laughs> it's easy to spend time with people. Or it's easy to, to, what he desires is compassion. How does our heart change? And, you know, this message is very much a ministry, a, a conviction into my heart. As much as it is, I pray for your heart as well. And I put here, I put a, what I call um, the first Corinthians checklist, a love checklist. We throw that word love a lot. Right? We throw it around a lot. I love this person. I love this person. Do you know, love is not your feelings. It's just not. What you feel is, um, it's a biological emotion. Right? And it usually lasts temporarily. Because as soon as conflict happens, that love goes away. That feeling, sorry, that feeling goes away. Love, on the other hand, is choices that you make. And so when you read first, first Corinthians 13, every single wedding you go to, they'll have it on their Christian or not, right? Everybody loves First Corinthians 13 because it has all these wonderful words in it. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is long-suffering. Love does not envy. Love does not boast. And it's awesome. But what does that really mean? When we think about when God calls us, when God says he loves the world, and he calls us to love others as much as we love ourselves. That's the second commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind is the first. The second is this. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. It's the second commandment. It's something that God has told us we need to do. And to love somebody doesn't mean I have to feel feelings of emotion towards you. What it really means is I have to practice whether I feel or not. I have to practice these actions for you. Because the fact is that you can say, I love you to somebody all you want. Till kingdom come, you can say, I love you. You can tattoo, I love you on my head, in your arm. You can tattoo your spouse's name, your, your girlfriend or boyfriend's name on your arm. Say, I love this person. But when you don't exemplify any of these, you don't love them. It's as simple as that. I, I, I put this checklist together as, a, as like, this is the first Corinthians checklist. Am I patient? Am I patient with this person? Am I patient with the people around me? Or do I get impatient? You know, and if you read this and you're not convicted, something's wrong with you. This is the truth. Because the fact is none of us, none of us can always fulfill all of these. If we say we truly love the people in our lives, are we patient with them? Are we kind to them? You know, to some people, Kindness speaks so much loud to me. This is a, this is personal. Kindness to me speaks louder than anything else. You can you can bring me gifts and I'm not much of a material person, right? I prefer activity over people, uh, over things. But kindness speaks louder than anything else. I remember there was one time we were in Haiti and. There was a lady there, and, and the one thing she said, she said, thank you for being kind. That's how the guy translated it. Thank you for being kind to us. Thank you for taking the time to talk to me and look me in the eyes. That's all she said. She didn't say thank you for the water thing we brought her. She didn't say anything. Thank you for being kind. Kindness speaks louder than anything else because it's hard to be kind. It is. Kindness takes effort. It takes, it takes you know, it takes putting your, your own 
comfort, your own selfish desires aside, putting your own thoughts, your own opinions, put it all aside. Kind, it speaks louder than anything else. Do I feel jealous? Because jealousy is not love. When you feel jealousy towards someone, that this, it, first of all, jealousy is a sin, right? But that's you can't love a person. You can't you can't exemplify love to a person if you're jealous. Am I boastful? Am I proud? Am I rude? Do I demand my own way? It's my way or the highway. I have, this is how I think things should go. This is what's happening, right? <clears throat> Am I irritable? Take one more asked me that question five times already. Get away. Right. <laughs> Do I keep record of wrong? They have a notebook somewhere where I keep every person's wrong sins there so I can bring it up the next time we argue. They hang on, let me get my notebook up. Do I rejoice in injustice and not truth? When you see something happen to this person that you really don't like, you're like, yes. That's what it means. Payback. Finally. It happened to them. Have I given up? I've given up on this relationship. I've given up on these people. I've given up on everything. Have I lost faith? Am I hopeful? Have I endured through every circumstance? First Corinthians 13.8, it says love never fails. And that this kind of love comes only from God. God calls us to be this to the people around us because this is what the world does not have. The world does not have this. The world may have components of it, but it doesn't have it all. It's only in Christ. See, if I took this checklist and I looked for the life of Christ, I would see every single one of them. See, Jesus Christ has never given up on me. He's never forsaken me. He's always patient with me. He's always kind to me. Even when I do wrong, my God does not strike me down. He doesn't. I may strike myself down, but he's never striking me down. He never leaves me. He's never forsaken me. He's not jealous of what I've accomplished. Right? That's not love. Right? <clears throat> he's not proud. He's not rude. He doesn't tell me it's his way or the highway. Do you know that God accepts us where we're at because he made us different? It is us that tries to put everybody in a box. Do you know that no matter how broken and how twisted we are, God will look at us and still love us the way we are? See, we're all coming from different backgrounds. We're all different. I mean, look at, you know, we were talking about somebody had made a comment on how Logos sometimes can be a little tight. I'm like, but we're also different. We're tight because we've been together for so long. But we're all different. And it's okay. It is okay to be different. Everybody has their own challenges and their own capabilities and their own strengths and their own weaknesses. It's okay. God doesn't judge that. Why would we? Right? It's okay. You know, I have I, I have so many weaknesses, and yet I see most of you love me through those weaknesses. Right? You know my weaknesses, and you're still here. That's love. Right? Am I hopeful? Have I, have I endured through every circumstance? God, love never fails. So in closing... Um, we do need to remember the statement, I desire compassion, not sacrifice, for they not come to call the righteous and, and uh, the righteous but sinners. Go and learn what this means. That's what God has asked us to do. Take the time this week. Go and learn what that means. What does that mean? I desire compassion, not sacrifice. 
What does that mean in our lives? How do I think about this? <coughs> You've heard me speak about it today. We've read the scripture together. But in order for our lives to change, we have to think about it ourselves. We have to pray about it ourselves. In closing, I want to talk a little bit about repentance. Because the sinners who came to Christ were led to repentance. And what happened is, after they repented, they turned their life away from sin. Matthew, we know, did this, right? Because Matthew became Jesus' disciple, and he turned away from his life to follow Christ. Right? And so when we talk about repentance, repentance is, a sor is historical, <coughs> sorrowful to the point of repentance according to the will of God. That means we need, this is an emotion we need to feel. We do need to feel sorry. We need to feel sorry for our sin to the point of grief, that it, that it turns us back to God. Re that is necessary for repentance. We do need to turn from sin to come to God. And that cannot be done until that, <coughs> excuse me, until that sorrow is felt. If we don't have that sorrow, if we don't understand why, pray. Ask God to show us why it's sinful. Now, this sorrow is not guilt or self-condemnation. That's really important. It's not because I'm guilty. What guilt looks like is if you get caught. Right. If you get caught, you're you're doing something and somebody catches you and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. That's not guilt. That's not sorrow. That's guilt. You just got caught, so you messed up and now you, you have to be sorry. That's not real sorrow. Real sorrow is when you were not caught, but you understand. <clears throat> Romans twelve, let's go to Romans chapter twelve, verse two real quick. And I'll go ahead and read it. It says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. You were made, when, when we experience God's transformation, it will change the way we think. Sorrow, sorrow, true repentant sorrow, will bring us to that place where it will change the way we think. It has to happen. It's again, right? it has to happen on the inside. Like, you can't go to a place where it says, oh, you guys are committing sin. So in order for you to stop committing the sin, and we're going to cancel all these events so you're not exposed to the sin. No, there's no sorrow involved in that. That's called control. right? Like, you know, with our kids, right? When our kids do something wrong, we're like, taking away your phone. Taking away your phone for months. Well, they don't understand what they did. They, they have not completely acknowledged what they did wrong. All they know is they don't have a phone anymore, right? In order for them to truly rectify their action, they have to understand what they did wrong so that they won't do it again, even if they have their phone, right? It's, it, that's, that's, that's your friend that is sorrow. Uh, 2 Corinthians 7:11. just to see what this godly sorrow produced in you, such earnestness, such concern, to clear yourself, such indignation, such alarm, such longing to see me, such zeal and such a readiness to punish wrong. You showed that you have done everything necessary to make things right. True sorrow and true repentance brings about change, transformation. And we talk about transformation a lot because it's necessary, right? If you are the same, I said this on Friday night, if you are the same person today 
you were last year and the year before and you are still struggling with the same things still struggling with the same the same challenges in life spiritual or unspiritual then no change has happened change has you have to change you know we see in children babies when they're born you take them to the doctor every three months because the doctors need to measure growth they have to be changed right the child has to grow the child has to eat more the child has they have what they call growth milestones are they walking are they talking are they saying words you know even Jaden until he was like 15 they were asking me you know does he can he have conversations with you about things like they're measuring you every step of the way because you need to see change why don't we measure ourselves the same way spiritually do i still struggle am i still struggling with the same things i struggled with 10 years ago why am i still struggling with these things it's not, it, this is not something that, you know, someone can look in your life and go, why are you still struggling with these things? No, it's something we got to look at ourselves and go, why am I still struggling with these things? Things that I will take ownership for myself and I will bring, I will come before God, I will repent and I will experience true godly sorrow so that my life can be transformed. Right? Jesus came to call the sinners. He came for that. We are called to be his vessels so that we can be his hands here. Now, we are not Christ, but we are still called to be those people in their lives. We are not called to just sit in church and enjoy the fellowship of other believers. We are called to be a light everywhere we go. We are called to be different. Not awkward different, different, different. Like Christ different. We're called to be what no one else will be in this world. Because, you see, the world doesn't have the ability to love like Christ does because they have too much to lose. None of us has anything to lose. We have Christ who gives us all we need. We have nothing to lose. We can love people to the end. They may break our hearts, but God heals us. We have abundant love to give because God never stops loving us. We can lay down our lives for our brothers without worrying that we will lose out because God always has our back. He does. He does. Right? And he calls us as we are. You don't, you don't have to be a certain type of person to be called by God. You, all you have to do is do what Matthew did, get up and go. Get up and follow him. Make that decision to follow him. Truly follow God. Truly make that decision for yourself i will follow god today i will do what he's called me to do all right that's all i had um any questions or comments oops i have um four very quick comments uh, Pastor Jeannie, I'm glad your last slide is still up there. Do I demand my own way? Sometimes we go through these checklists. <coughs> you know, we should go through them and ask the Lord, Lord, what are you really saying to me there? What are you saying to me there? You know, even as I was looking at your checklist, you know, when you said, do I demand my own way? What does that really mean? Do I demand my own way? Do you put yourself above others? You know, what's important to you is most important. Um, are you serving others? See, someone who, who demands their own way is not acting as someone who serves. They're acting as someone 
who demands to be served. Are you doing that? You know, do I keep record of wrong? Do I keep record of wrong? You know what? You know what another word for that is? Unforgiveness. Unforgiveness. If you can remember all the things that someone did to you, you've not forgiven them. It's unforgiveness. And need you really look at that, you know, and as you really, I mean, go through that checklist and just, Lord, what are you saying to me here? What are you saying to me here? And, and, and you got to, you know, and only he, because he wrote the book, he knew the thoughts that he had when he was writing these. So it's like, Lord, what do you mean? So that I may change. Change me, Lord. Change me. Create in me a clean heart. So I would say go through that checklist, every one of us. Go through it patiently and prayerfully. And if it takes you a long time just to get through one of those items on the checklist, take that time to let him transform you with his word. Let him, let him look into those crevices. And look into those places that you think you're just fine, and you're not. And you're not. There are just three other comments very quickly. Um, you know, Pastor Jeannie, you talked about, you know, Matthew. And Matthew being a uh, tax collector. And I had forgotten that because you and I have talked about this from time to time, too. I forgot, you know, but as you were speaking today, bringing the Lord's message, what he reminded me is that Matthew was just not a tax collector, which was a cheat. Matthew had essentially become an enemy of the, of the uh, is, you know, the, the Hebrew nation. Why? Because it was the Roman government that was in control. And he was collecting taxes for the enemy. He was collecting taxes for the enemy. So it wasn't enough that they didn't like him because he was taking from them and stealing from them. He was working for the enemy. And to grasp just how serious this was, because they were waiting for the Messiah to come and set them free. And that's why they rejected Jesus, because they didn't, they were expecting what he would be when he returned. He was coming back as a victorious warrior. But he came the first time to take away sin and destroy the works of the enemy. So they didn't recognize the Messiah. But that would be like for us today watching what's going on. That would be like someone going to work, someone who lives in Ukraine, who is a Ukrainian? Go to work for Russia as a tax collector. To collect taxes to rebuild the very homeland they have taken, destroyed, and occupied. That's how loathsome tax collectors were. And that's why they always, you know, called them, you know, you know, he's come tax, you know, he's eating with tax collectors and sinners. 
And it's like he's eating with the lowest of the low. He's eating with our enemies. So I just wanted to point that out. Um, two other things very quickly. Uh, Pastor Jeannie, will you go to Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14, and, and read those um, five scriptures? Luke 18, 9 through 14. Then Jesus told the story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I'm not a sinner like everyone else. For I don't cheat, I don't sin, and I don't commit adultery. And I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give you a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I tell you this, I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Wow. Look at the two people that our God compares in this prayer. One is a what? A Pharisee. And the other is a what? Sinner. Tax collector. Uh-huh. And the Pharisee considered themselves righteous and viewed with contempt. Isn't that another way of looking at Matthew 9? You know, Matthew 9, 13, you know, that the tax, you know, the Pharisees, you know, the tax collectors with contempt, and that's why they were just besides themselves to know that this holy man was sitting with the tax collectors. In fact, the fact is that tax collectors and sinners had put the tax collectors in their own category. But I love what the Lord says in Luke 18, 9, that he gave this for those who consider themselves, you know, trusted themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. That could be any one of us at any one time. Who are you looking at and thinking they are, they, they are some really sinful people and they need your help? They're not like you. You are. You know, um, when we used to go out evangelizing, our most difficult, the doors that we knocked on, the, the people who had the most venom were those who would say this, I am saved, sanctified. Uh, Rochelle, what was the rest of it? I am saved, oh, saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost. I don't need you knocking on my door. And you're just kind of like, whoa, if anybody should understand what we're out here doing and offer to pray with us, to strengthen us. But those who considered themselves holy and didn't need what we were bringing were the ones who were the rudest to us. And finally, you know, rightfully, Pastor Jeannie talked about the judgment seat of God. You're going to stand before God. Romans 14.10 says, you are going to, everybody's going to stand 
before God, before his judgment seat. And I see you're turning there for me, uh, Pastor Jimmy, you're for, for yourself, but can you read it out loud? Can you say that once again? Uh, 14.10. Romans 14.10, right? So why do you condemn another believer? Why do you look down on another believer? Remember, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. We will all stand before the judgment seat of God is what Pastor Jeannie said several times. But let's also remember who God is. Go to John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God, and the word was God. And let's go to 2 Corinthians 5.10. For we must all stand before God to be judged, before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. We must all stand before who to be judged? Christ. Christ. And finally, Acts 17.31. For he has set a day of, for judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. The Lord has given judgment to Christ. It's a whole new understanding, getting a hold of that and knowing who you're going to stand before is Christ, the one that you have been rejecting or not listening to all your life. The one who was the one who laid down his life, who came as an example with his life, who suffered, suffered persecution and torture and mistreatment and finally a horrible death. That's who you're going to stand before. And then it does it, and then it makes total sense when somebody comes before him and says, Lord, Lord, and he says, I do not know you. I do not know you. Because see, if you have been walking along with him in this life, he's not going to look at you and not know you because he's known you here and now. Y'all have y'all have had, we have had a personal relationship with him. And we're not to get before him and say, Lord, Lord, we are not fans of Jesus. We're not in the fan club. We are children. We are in an intimate relationship. We are his friends because he says, if you do what I say, if you obey me, I no longer call you slaves. I call you friends. That's all I wanted to add, uh, Pastor Jimmy. I'm gone. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you, Jesus. Yeah, if I may add also, uh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Pastor Catherine and Pastor Jeannie for the work. With the checklist, um, I was thinking through that with regards to the motivation of repentance. I think the message is clear that we need to spend time with God. But the motivation of repentance is quite interesting because most of us don't think of that uh, clearly. Uh, what comes to mind 
is that why do we repent? Do we repent to get? In other words, I repent so to get this guilt out of my uh, uh, feeling or get the pressure off my back. The get is there. Repent to get. I repent so that I don't get into trouble. But this, this list is not to remind us that we get into trouble. We are already in trouble <laughs> at any given check of this list, right? Um, but I wanted to share that we repent to change. And, and over and over again, that's the message, to be transformed. But because we're not thinking of that, we're not going in that direction. For some people, they don't repent because they don't see anything to get. So I wanted to encourage you, um, you know, uh, Luke chapter 8, verse 18, it says, So take care how you listen. For whoever has, to him more shall be given. And whoever does not have, even what he thinks he has, will be taken away. So uh, many of us been to church, been to Bible study, we listen to God's word, and we nod our heads, and we're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But we really don't repent. Uh, even if we do, again, it's a repent to get, to get somewhere, versus repent to change, to become more like Christ. And so Psalms 19, I'll read two scriptures and one more at the end. We know that as we are Christians, verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure and making the wise simple. The best benefit here, verse 8, the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. So for many, we all agree, this is the benefit, wonderful things about being with God. But if that's not what they desire, they won't repent to get, you know, even if they desire, they repent to get that. But here's 14, because it reflects something interesting. It says, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This reflects desire. And may this desire not because I want to get the rejoicing in my heart, even though that's good. We want the wisdom of God, yes. But the motivation of repentance have often lead us to this modern day. The modern day that says, hey Lord, I am an adult. I work. I have a job. I have a family. I have all these things as part of life. And so I go to church so that I could try to make relevance of your teaching. I'm seeking for relevance, God. I'm seeking for my modern day equal equality in terms of how do I become a Christian in this modern day? So what do we do? We take God's word and try to fit it into our work, fit it into our thinking. As Jeannie had mentioned, we all have come under under this uh, uh, place where we, we, we learn the world's way. We learn to profile people. We learn all these things. And so now we're trying to get God's benefit and then we're guilty of what we do and then we repent so to get out of this guilt. So we repent to get. But we're not changing. We don't change. We say, yeah, 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 Lord, you got me, but I, I'll repent. You got me because I repent. So um, that was my burden the, the whole time. And I was thinking about this. I said, Lord, how can we reverse this? You see, there's uh, Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 1. When he changed, we know that he went from Saul to Paul. He had an encounter with Jesus. Amen. Amen. 
And in Galatians chapter 1, uh, verse 17, actually, let me read 15. It says, But when God, who has set me apart, even from my mother's womb, and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away to Arabia and returned once more to Damascus. Verse 18. Then three years later, I went up to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Kephas and stayed with him 15 days. But I did, not, I did not see other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now, in what I am writing to you, I assure you before God that I am not lying. Then I went into regions of Syria and Cilicia. I was still unknown by sight of the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But only they kept hearing, he who once persecuted us is now preaching the faith which is once tried to destroy. And they were glorifying God because of me. This was really powerful because going back to who we are, Sure, we're adults, or we're this, or we're that, and we're Christians. The idea here is, Apostle Paul, when he transformed, when he changed, he did not repent to get. He repent to change. And in this change, he did not go to any other sources to fit his liking. He actually go to the source, which is Jesus Christ, the Word of God. Amen? And I want to encourage you uh, from this perspective is, would you consider repenting to change so that you can change the way you work, change the way you have family, change the way you love? Because this checklist is impossible for any person who is trying to get the power of God in their life, thinking that, haha, I think I just got the anointing. I think I can change. You will not change because you have not changed. And only Christ can change. Amen. Would you be willing to even allow God to tear apart your work, tear apart the way you have relationship, meaning if you have the world's way of love, the world's philosophy, let him tear that apart. Let him rebuild you, amen? Let his love build you. Because we always say, you cannot give what you don't have. And that's what happened to Apostle Paul. Would you be willing to love your parents? Would you be willing to see your parents the way God sees them, even though they may be mean to you? Would you be willing to see your enemies the way God sees them? And so that's what I wanted to ask regarding the motivation of repentance. Anyone else? Amen. <clears throat> repentance is not repentance without the right motivation, right? And if if our heart is not broken before God, if it's not contrite before God, if we have not realized and there is no transformation, then truly has there really been repentance? Repentance is, a, is an attitude of the heart. It's a choice of our heart. It's not something that someone leads us to, and we do it to fulfill a request. It's something that we do because we realize that we can't keep going the way we're going. Something has to change. And repentance has to be a choice in our heart by ourselves. And so as we close today, um, I'm going to pray that we don't take the word today and just listen to it and forget about it, but 
that we take it with us and we keep it in our hearts and think about it and meditate on it and continue to study his word and ask God to keep speaking to us until we see a change in our own lives. Be your biggest, you be, you be the one to determine if you've changed or not. Take our lives, you, it's our responsibility to take our lives up to the standard of the word, to compare to God's word and say, have I adhered to God's word more this year or this day or this month? Or am I still the same person? Have I made any changes or am I still struggling with the same things? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time and Father, for this word. I thank you, Father, for your precious, your, your precious people, Lord, that are here, Lord Jesus. I pray for those that, that hear, Lord Jesus, and that put, take this word to heart, Lord Jesus. I pray for the seeds that you are sowing in our lives, Lord, that, Father, that you will continuously change us and transform us, Lord, that every single challenge that comes our way, Father, that we bring it up to you. I pray, Father, that as we continue to walk and to grow in you, Lord, that we will not be derailed by situations and circumstances, but that, Father, every challenge you put in our path, Father, draws us, draws us closer to you because we only begin to see you more and more in the reality of you greater and greater every day. Father, I pray, Lord, for each heart and mind, Lord, that, that has accepted this word, Lord, that continues to seek to understand it. I pray, Father, that you will you will bring understanding and you will bring personal revelation upon each heart, Lord. Father, don't leave us the way that we are, Lord. But Father, each and every day transform us, Lord. Father, that we may be more bigger and better versions of better versions, Lord Jesus, of ourselves, that we may look better and more like you, Lord Jesus. That Father, that each life that we are in, Lord, that we will be a lock, walking and living version of your word, Lord. Father, that love will pour out from us, the love that only you can provide, Lord Jesus. And Father, we will know that we are nothing more than vessels of your word in, in the lives of others, Lord. Father, let pride never enter our hearts. Father, let, let pride never enter our lips, Lord Jesus, Lord. That, Father, that we may claim our ability on ourselves, but, Father, all glory and honor goes to you. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word. I pray a blessing upon each one, Lord, as we as we end this service, Lord, that, Father, that we will, even though we end this service, Father, that our our choice in our life will be in your presence always. Lord. In Jesus' almighty name we pray. Amen. 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 All right. Well, thank you. And uh, so this week, real quick, um, we do have the Men and Women's Fellowship. Um, so we'll get together again with a schedule on Friday. Uh, and then Tuesday, we'll have the uh, pastor's prayer. By the way, last week, we have the Genesis 19 study. I, again, I, I know this coming week, we don't have that. But please get to start reading Genesis 20. It's amazing how the Word of God uh, brings out details. Uh, and it flows into other studies. And it makes sense. And so just want to give you that encouragement, uh, Genesis 20 for the next Tuesday, not this coming Tuesday. Uh, other than that, that's all the announcement I have. Mm -hmm. all right. No one's birthday this week. No one's birthday this week. <laughs> yeah, thank you all for your prayers. Uh, continue to pray for those, you know, uh, prayer requests, uh, you know, Pastor Chris, uh, Pastor Catherine, and many of those who have uh, what we call allergies. And uh, praise God for praise report from uh, Jeff and Jane regarding Leah, uh, and there's many more uh, who we're praying for. So thank you so much. We covered those prayers for each other. 
Ah, I was uh, made known that this coming fourth uh, is Paulina's birthday. Happy birthday, Paulina. Thank you. Can we pray for you? Sure. Thank you, Lord. Yes, Lord. Father, we thank you for our sister, Lord Jesus. Yes, Father, Lord. thank you, Father, for Lord, this great year that you have given her, Lord Father, how you have grown your family and blessed them, Father, with just the best gift ever, Father. We yes, thank you for Alora. We thank you for her health and her yes. growth, Lord Jesus. And and Father, the the blessing that she has been to her mom and dad, Lord Jesus. I continue to pray for your hand to be upon Alora, Lord Jesus, Father, that as Paulina and KK make choices in their life, Lord Jesus, that they will raise her to be a woman who seeks 